Hey, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. We're going to have a different format here today because we're talking about stupid basketball with Chris Nee and intern, intern extraordinaire Shem Rivera. Hi, guys. What's up, man? Um, Hi. So first, I'm going to not do much of anything, which a lot of you listening to the podcast are probably relieved. It's going to be mostly Chris navigating the show. Unfortunately, it's about basketball, which I don't have an issue with, but also 30 minutes about basketball. But real quick, uh, I'm insulted that neither of you know what Basketball Jones, the song, is by Barry White and Chris Rock and Space Jams. And like, what the hell are we doing here? <laughs> I love Space Jam. I just don't remember that song from the movie. No, Shem's, you know, a like, millenn- Shem's a millennial. Like, I get that. Like, he's fine not knowing what that is. But you're like, that was in your wheelhouse. Yeah, I, I watched Space Jam in the last like, six weeks, too. I've never watched Space Jam. What? what? Yeah, I know. We're going to watch I, it right I'm after busy. this podcast. And you're doing I'm a basketball busy. podcast? I know. I've never watched All right, I'm getting out of my, here. My bonus for you is going to be buying the Space Jam DVD. <laughs> You guys go ahead and talk hoops, because apparently there's a... Uh, I'm sitting on the other side. Yeah. I'm not listening to this today. I'm going to be on my Florida phone. State's a really good basketball team. They're 21-5 and five on the season, 9-4 and four in the ACC. They've won eight in a row in the ACC, which is a school record, never before done. They achieved that by beating up on Clemson last evening at Clemson. To kind of set the mood, FSU's 5-3 and three against what we call Quadrant 1 teams, 5-2 and two against what we call Quadrant 2 teams. They're 11-0 and 0 against teams that are below Quadrant 1 and Quadrant 2. Those games don't really matter near as much unless you lose them. That's when it can impact you. So Quadrant 1 to 5-3 and three to 5 wins are, you know, quality teams such as, you know, Clemson, I believe, is still Quadrant 1 type. Louisville. 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 Those types. The three losses are Duke, Virginia, Villanova, all of whom are considered top 20 teams by the net rankings, which probably the net rankings are, in my opinion, the worst ranking to go by. But it's what they're going to look at when they do the NCAA tournament field. Quadrant two, those two losses are Pitt and BC. Mm-hmm. Those kind of set the mood for where we're going with this podcast. Before this eight-game winning streak started, FSU lost four of their first five in the ACC. Two of those were Duke and Virginia, completely excusable, great teams that are Final Four-type candidates. The other two losses were at Pitt and then at BC. What has changed for Florida State since they lost those two games and went on the eight-game winning streak where they've gone a full month in ACC play without losing a game? In your view, Shem, what do you think is the difference between when FSU started 1-4 and four beyond playing a couple good teams in that stretch and where they sit today? I don't know. I think this team has been like trying to rebuild or trying to build that uh, chemistry together. Um, they've been they've done a great job over the regular season, but you know when ACC season like you know when ACC play starts, it it's a different feel. Um, it's either you're already locked in and ready to go, or you can have those bumps and bruises, uh, like taking losses against Virginia and do like back to back, and then going on the road to you know see BC and Pitt. It, it it messes with your brain, so I feel like uh, they they had to have something internal after those uh, couple losses to try to get back on their feet. Because uh, it, it, ACC is definitely, I believe, is one of the, the toughest conferences in the NCAA. So. Well, Leonard Hamilton would like you to know that's new ACC and it's the greatest oh, basketball conference wow, ever yeah. created. All right, I'm going to interject real quick. I couldn't shut up for more than two minutes. Leonard Hamilton's been calling the new ACC since I've been covering, well, like when I used to cover hoops back in 2013. It's been the new ACC for Let, at least five years now. Let's be honest. It's I not lo- new anymore. I love Coach Hamilton. Coach Hamilton, on the record, when a recorder is in front of him, is the most canned response person <laughs> in the history of man. Is. He literally repeats about 15 to 20 different phrases in every press conference and whatnot. They're not even applicable They're, to the con- the question. That his team has won eight in a row, and last night his opening on the radio is, we're not even close to as good as we can be. We can be so much better, which <laughs> Which he keeps saying after every win and yep. even after losses. 
And there's truth to it, but that's how the man is. He's very even-killed, steady Eddie. It's what he does. I Going back to the losing streak for FSU where they lost three in a row, I think the Duke loss very much played into the pit loss. FSU loses a Duke buzzer beater Saturday afternoon at home. They have to hop on a plane, fight cold weather, get up to pit, play a Monday evening game at pit, and they can't stop a single dribble drive to the basket against Pitt if their life depended on it. And they got every whistle in the book against them in the Pitt game. They were not – there was nothing that played in their favor. They lose that game by 13. It was really not a good game. It was an ugly game. And then they go to BC, and I think they're in their feelings. They're not a team that's exactly very cohesive at the moment. They're, you know, they're sitting at 1-3 and three in ACC play, and things start going badly, and they just let them go worse. And the second half of that game was miserable. It's the worst half of basketball FSU's played – in the last couple of years, in my opinion. Coming out of that game, what changed? I think, one, they realized, well, hell, we were supposed to be good going into the season. Yeah. Everybody mm-hmm. expected this to be a very good FSU basketball team. A lot of veteran guys coming back, some nice new pieces, a nice injection of new talent. A guy like David Nichols is a veteran college basketball mm-hmm. player that you're adding to the mix. It kind of helps you uh, branch to two ends of that, of new and old. Mm-hmm. And I... For me, the number one difference from for them from starting one and four to going eight and zero in this back stretch here recently, they got back to playing defense and they got back to doing it as a team. FSU is very very good at taking away option A of the opposing team, mm-hmm. but when they make it difficult on option B and C and just in general kind of infuriate the opposing team, they can break their will. And you've seen that. They're winning these games by an average of 13.8 points per game over this eight-game stretch. So they're not just squeaking out ACC games that are generally tight. They're winning fairly comfortably and fairly big. Other than the Louisville game, none of these games have been particularly tight in the final moments or gone over time like that one did. I think um, after the Duke game, it put a lot of pressure on the players and definitely the coaches because – uh, you're playing Duke and you lose at home by a buzzer beater shot. Yeah. That can destroy your confidence and it can put a lot of pressure on you because now a lot of teams are, and a lot of people in the media especially are looking at you because they see that, hey, you guys are going to pull it off a Duke win. Yeah. But then the confidence drop, you go to pit, and after that it just goes downhill. But the fact that they were able to uh, come back after – you know, the BC loss, that was bad as well. Beating Clemson, I believe that was after that BC game. Yes. Um, that started the streak on January exactly. 22nd. Yep. January 22nd, the streak started. And definitely defense. The guys are athletic. Uh, Coach Ham, he he knows what he's doing with uh, the program. It's, it's been doing well over the, ever since he got here, I believe. Um, and I definitely see progress because in an eighth, an eighth, ACC win uh, streak is definitely the the program record, right? Yes, and it, they they have the second longest winning streak in ACC play this year for any team. Duke is currently running a nine game winning mm-hmm. streak in league play. I think it's more so, um, you know, experienced players. They're stepping up. Uh, every game, there's somebody else that can, uh, you know, give something for the team, and it's not about selfish basketball. It's yeah. about they're, they're literally playing team basketball now because they trust each other and they know the type of team they can be when everybody's on the court. Yeah, and that's an excellent point. FSU's had nine different leading scores on the season. They've had only one player that's led them in scoring in ten or more games, that being M. Fiondu Kamangale. He M- Say it again? Fee. Fee <laughs> is the only player in the country who leads his team in scoring at a Power 5 school who has not started a single game. Yep. And people will kind of be like, why isn't he starting? And I'm of that boat, too. I think mm-hmm. he's the best player on the team. 
But one, he likes coming off the bench. He kind of likes seeing how a game is called, how it's going, what his team needs, what's kind of being allowed and what's not being allowed on the court. And two, Fee has Okara White syndrome where he tends to pick up fouls in bunches. But to his credit, he's done a drastically better job of that during ACC play of cutting down on picking up stupid fouls, but allowing himself to play. He did mention though that he he wants to uh, be sixth man of the year. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he Fee Fee is a team dude. Yeah, yeah. FSU as a whole is a team concept. They are not a superstar mentality team. They have plenty of guys that can be a thirty a night score if they had mm-hmm. to be, but that's not how it's constructed, and it's kind of nice because. You don't know on any given night who's going to be the dude. Devin Vassell led him in scoring at Georgia Tech in their recent win on the road there. Mm -hmm. He goes home, scores 11, leads him in a very defensive game. You know, so you got – it's tough for the opposing team to figure out how do you stop FSU. Last night, their bigs combined for about 30 points, 17 boards, I think Mm -hmm. it was, a handful of blocks. And they also have good guard play. So do you take away one or the other? What do you do? Like when FSU is playing Clemson, they know if we can stop Marcus Reed and keep Shelton Mitchell in check and not allow somebody like Scar or Thomas to go off unexpectedly or Sims, we're going to beat them. Like, like that's the thing. Is there, there's a blueprint to beat most teams. Mm-hmm. Duke is an exception to that. I think Virginia is an exception to that because of the style they play. Duke is more so because of talent they have on the roster. For FSU, it's their depth. They go 9 to 11 deep, and they've got nine guys they can rely upon at any given moment to put the ball in the bucket. But what do you say that that, that may possibly be a weakness? Because you just never know uh, who's going to step up on what given day. Ooh, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a weakness Damn. solely because so consistently somebody does step up. That's true, yeah. Um, I think because... FSU understands that if that guy's got a hot hand, give him the ball. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that with Kamaji coming on here recently. Fee's been kind of the steady dude of the bunch as mm-hmm. far as consistently doing. Trent Farris's scoring has been a little uh, up and down, but Trent's a stat stuffer. He does a lot of good things for him. Excellent ball handler. He kind of gets him in and out of it offensively. Terrence Mann is the type of guy that I think if they had to have a bucket, he understands how to go yeah. get it. But he's willing to play Robin to another guy's Batman if that guy's having a great night. So I think they, as a group, mentally understand the concept of 18 strong. Mm -hmm. They had that concept last year. They've had it this year. And they buy into it fully. And it's something about the culture and the environment that Leonard Hamilton has bred for that program that it is what they are. They... Guys don't come here with a superstar mentality. MJ Walker was a McDonald's All-American, and I'm sure there's times he's frustrated he's not scoring more mm-hmm. or not more of the mm-hmm. focal point of the offense. But in general, he is willing to play his role. And if a guy like that who has that kind of headlines coming into a program is willing to buy into a role, it's very easy when you have a lot of guys who are excellent role players. I believe the the 18 Sean was definitely exemplified um uh, during the game where the walk-ons were, were getting in. Now, that yeah. was two back-to-back games. Yeah. And during the home game, the the bench were literally cheering them on very loud. And even the fans inside, the, everyone was standing on their feet when the green team got in. Yeah. Yeah. Harry Prieto, Justin Lindner, those guys hit the court. The Their teammates love them. There, there's something about the way this team is built, and it probably is the reason why coming out of those Pitt and BC losses, they were able to have very frank and honest discussions with one another mm-hmm. about why they were screwing the pooch and not doing very well on the court, and it's what probably saved them. They, they are able to be critical of one another and not take it personal yeah. because they have that deep of an understanding of one another. 
Where do you think the saying "screw the pooch" comes from? I, I know I, "screw I, the pooch" I, means I, so like I, I don't know. What, I'm, like, what does it mean? Messing up. <laughs> it's messed up to do that, but it doesn't seem like the two are. You know, I love old school idioms and sayings like that. I love you dropping mean cliches them. I, and some cliches. Yeah, something for that too. You need so, to check all the boxes. So no, go take the back seat. <laughs> go take the back seat. Um, I did have, have a question to yeah, throw it in there. All right. So you guys have talked about the rough start to ACC play mm-hmm. and the factors that led into that, and now we're talking about an eight-game win streak uh, in conference play, which is awesome. Do you think this team, what we've seen for eight games, is legit? Yes. Sustainable? Not that you win yeah. every single game, but is yeah. this more what this team is than what it shows? Yeah, when when they play defense, they're a team capable of scoring in the 70s or 80s who are capable of playing defense of holding opponents in the 60s, and that puts you in a position to win a lot of games. Now, they're going to be tested by UNC on Saturday at 345. Mm-hmm. UNC's got a guy like Cam Johnson who can really stretch the court. Uh, their point guard is a guy when he's on, he's very good, and they're a very good team when he's on. When he's off, he tends to turn it over a lot. So it'll be interesting how FSU's defense causes an issue for him. And I think that's the key to Saturday's game. If the FSU is able to kind of bother him and keep Cam Johnson in check, especially from the perimeter, they're going to be in that game and have a shot late in the Dean Dome. I believe – I agree with you. Um, but I also want to add that it's also about controlling the little things, which means – uh, limiting the amount of turnover you have in the game or, you know, out-rebounding opponents because all of that plays a big role in, you know, second-chance opportunities, fast-break points, and that can definitely uh, trade you from having a close game to, you know, beating Wake Forest by 20 points. So every team has to, like, realize that, yeah, we could have great defense, but if we're not doing well and executing well offensively, then it's it just going to look shady. Last night's Clemson game, I thought the interesting part to me was the opening four minutes of the second half. Clemson mm-hmm. actually played really, really well in that stretch. Yep. And I think the gap, the point gap, was the same as what it was at halftime. Because FSU was able to go tit for tat with them mm-hmm. with scoring the ball. And then FSU clamped back down defensively. The depth and the fact that FSU buys into the depth concept. They don't want guys playing more than 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Keeps guys fresh later in the year. It allows guys to gain experience who are newer players. And it allows mismatches on the court. Turk is one of those guys that when he Raekwon Gray, I call him Turk because that's his nickname and that's what they call him around the facility. Turk's one of those guys that is kind of coming into his own, coming out of his shell, kind of like we saw with Fee a year ago, Mm -hmm. where there's times where he just understands my skill set is so different than the guy across from me that I can do something here. I can either body him up or drive him to the basket, take him 94 feet with the ball in my hand. He's comfortable with that. Now, it's only flashes. It's not super consistent. Mm -hmm. But it's unique, and that's the thing about FSU is that they are able to throw curveballs at you off the bench. It's not like we're riding th- these three guys, and if one of them's off, we're going to be in some trouble tonight. FSU is 9 to 11 deep with a lot of different personalities and skill sets, and it, it pays off for them. And the thing to me, jokingly, Leonard keeps saying they need to play better. They can play better. There, there is a ceiling they have not yet achieved as a team this year where if they kind of get all pieces going, they're scary good. Correct me if I'm wrong, but almost every uh, ACC win that we had, our bench outscored the opponent tremendously. Yeah, last night I think it was 30-2 to two against yeah, Clemson. Pretty commonly, FSU's bench is in the 30-40 to 40 range. Mm-hmm. Most opposing benches, a good night for them is 20-25. to 25. So, yeah, and some of that is, you know, fees your leading yeah, score and yeah, you coming yeah. off the bench, so it's going to kind of increase that number. But then you have, you know, the, the nights that Devin Vassell is really good. The Clemson game at Tallahassee, the Clemson game, or I'm sorry, Georgia Tech game, and Atlanta. Devin was a big piece of both mm-hmm. of those wins he in was. the streak. There's other games. Devin did squat. 
He's non-existent on the stat sheet. So that's kind of the thing. They're able to kind of pick their punches at times with different guys doing different things for them. And I think it sets them up well to be a fresh team with depth going into the you know the last five here in ACC regular season, ACC tournament, and then eventually the NCAA tournament. And the thing with Devin was uh, when he scored the 11 points, that was in 16, 17 minutes. No. Kamaji last night. I think he played less than 20 minutes and double-figure points, yeah. several Seven boards, a couple blocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's not guys just, you know, hoisting 20 shots and yeah. getting 20 points. It's, it's not that. It's, it's efficient basketball. Player efficiency. It, it's, you know, putting guys in situations where they can do well. Uh, you know, that's exactly what it is. Nine and four in the ACC, which means FSU has five left. That starts the five-game stretch for FSU includes two on the road, which is the bookends of it, the start and the end of it, and then three at home in the middle. So they open up the five-game stretch at UNC on Saturday. Quick turnaround, come home, play Notre Dame on Monday. Then they have most of that week off, and they host NC State on Saturday. Good weekend in Tallahassee. There's also a home baseball series. If people are looking to come up, it's a good weekend to come up. Then they have Virginia Tech at home, which is probably the most challenging game outside of UNC on the back end of the schedule. And they wrap up the Saturday, March 9th at Wake Forest. Wake Forest is about as lowly as it gets in the league. You can always get trapped on the road in this league, but mm-hmm. let's count that as a win. VTech, I feel good about FSU winning at home because they just yeah. do it so much. Mm-hmm. NC State, similar. So that's three wins there. Notre Dame's at home. That's four wins. No. We'll, we'll, we'll go three <laughs> and a half to play fair. Say FSU gets upset in one of the home games. And let's go ahead and say lose to UNC, even though I think they can play with UNC. We're talking about three more wins in conference play. So we're talking about a team that goes 12-6 and in the ACC, Mm -hmm. and they'll finish with 24 overall wins in the regular season, 24-7. and I mean, it's for where they were sitting at one and four in the conference. It's yeah. kind of it's, it's not mind blowing because they were capable of this, but it's very very impressive that the maturity of this bunch shine through in tough moments and that they've learned to grow on the court as a unit. Yeah, definitely. Now that you mentioned uh, UNC, let's talk UNC right now. Okay, we were we were able to see early on in the ACC play what FSU was capable of. Um, you know, by playing against Duke. Yes, it's going to be a away game at UNC, but. I feel as though if this team, if this FSU team does what they have to do, everyone plays collectively, limit the amount of, you know, turnovers that you give and having great defense, I believe that they can, you know, do something there at UNC. Yeah, for me, it all goes back to what they do to Kobe White. Kobe White's a guy who sometimes will get a little obsessed with dribbling it into the ground. When he when he's getting UNC in and out mm-hmm. of it, they're a very efficient, high-scoring offensive team. When he plays really well, they're pretty damn unbeatable. When he doesn't play well, there's a chance because you can create transition. You can get a little bit of running gun. You're going to have to score against UNC. UNC is not the kind of game I expect to be played in the 60s yeah. or 70s. Mm-hmm. I think FSU has a better chance if they're able to you know, push it to the 90s and go you know, back and forth with UNC. I think it's that kind of game where you're going to have to score. It's yeah. going to be half a mm-hmm. game. You've got to hit threes. You've got to stem runs. You've got to kind of go back and forth. And you can't let a guy like Kobe White beat you in the backcourt. Yeah. And then, you know, Luke May is going to do what Luke May does. He's going to grab a lot of boards, have a presence around the room. You and then, have, I think I think it's important to, to realize that, hey, you're not going to be able to stop everyone from doing yeah. what they do. Let Cam play his game. Stop everyone else from being comfortable. And by doing that, you're, he's not going to score 30. You know, it, it, it's possible that he could put those numbers up. But, you know, you limit just everyone else. And have just one guy not focus on him, then it it, it could be a different uh, outcome. Yeah, 
you know, FSU, I don't want to say can afford a loss, but I think FSU goes yeah. there, plays well, mm-hmm. comes home with a loss. As long as they don't allow a loss or whatever that game pans out to be to turn into a disappointment against a pretty lowly Notre Dame team that's roster is depleted because of injuries, they're good to go for the rest of the conference schedule. It sets them up well. They get plenty of rest. They'll go into the ACC tournament fairly healthy. They're competing for a double bye, which if they get, they're an upper-tier team. Mm-hmm. I think if FSU is a double bye, which means they finish top four in the ACC, which they're in a fairly good position for right now because they hold the tiebreaker over Louisville, yeah. hold it over Syracuse, and they have the potential of holding it over Virginia Tech if they beat them mm-hmm. in Tallahassee. Puts them in a good position to be right there behind that top tier of Duke, Virginia, UNC. And to me, that is the top tier. Those three teams are elite eight capable teams on paper. Cool. And with what they've done in the season. FSU is <clears throat> right there in the next tier. And I think FSU is built to make a true run in tournament format. Coach Hammond's always mentioned uh, how this team is still in the works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's he, his favorite. He yeah, he mentions it almost every uh, post-game conference. Can any of you guys do a Coach Hammond impersonation? No, I'm not going to nah, imitate man. that, nah. man. Nah. <laughs> Coach Hammond's Benjamin Button, too. He's aging backwards, so it's truly incredible to me. To Shem's point, here's Ham's quote last night after the victory. Obviously, I'm having this was on his radio interview immediately after the game with Gene Decker off and Keith Jones on the Seminole Radio Network. Obviously, I'm happy that we were able to defend as well as we did. FSU did a very good job against Clemson, especially in the first half. The most positive thing about this team is that we had moments where I thought we played very well, and we had moments where we had some laws that show we are still growing and that we have a higher ceiling and room for improvement. Then he continued, if we just continue to keep winning while we are developing, hopefully at some point we can be pretty good. They're already pretty good. That's just him being him. With the whole, hopefully we can be pretty good. They are very good. And then he knows they're good. He knew the potential of this team. Before FSU went on the road at Miami right after the win at Clemson in late January that started this run, he talked in depth about, and kind of without a question being asked along these lines, well, somebody asked him, do you think your team's essentially mature enough to handle Mm -hmm. the challenge before them? He goes, here we are entering February and we're talking about maturity. He almost publicly questioned their maturity, and I think this team has shown very well over the last month they're a very mature bunch. And Terrence Mann, Phil Kofer, they kind of lead that charge. Those guys are old dudes that understand the system, understand what they're trying to accomplish on the court, have enough uh, sass, pizzazz, whatever word you're looking for. They have enough where they're, they're willing to kind of let it be known on the court and comfortable in their own skin doing so. Grit. That it Well, not grit. Well, Terrence is definitely a gritty dude. Terrence ain't scared to mix it up. But mm-hmm. more they're willing to call on a teammate to understand what they did right or they did wrong mm-hmm. in the moment. But they're respected by their teammates enough where it doesn't cause dissension. Mm-hmm. I believe uh, because of last year's run to the Elite Eight, they they don't feel as though they need to prove themselves to anyone. Right. I, I, they, I, they had more preseason accolades this year than they've had in forever. Yeah. And I almost think Trent Farris spoke on this here in the last week or two before a game that the Pitt and BC, not debacle, but disappointment, mm-hmm. the poor play of those two games, almost created a newfound chip on their shoulder yeah. and that they're a much better group when they're playing with that chip on their shoulder. And it's, it's more so they essentially just desire, like they long to go back to the tournament yeah. and make a good run. Not for anybody else, but for themselves because they know what they're capable of. 
Yeah, and Terrence Mann, since preseason, has spoke about making a deeper run in the tournament. Mm-hmm. That it, It's funny for a program that had been coming up short for several years in a row, yeah. just a few years ago, the expectation now is to make the tournament and make noise in the tournament. Mm-hmm. And this team, I think they truly believe they're built to make noise. Now, what do I think it will take for them to take that next leap and make that kind of you know comparable run to last season? Well, one, continue playing defense at the level you're playing it. But for me, two is probably, you know, you need some combination of MJ Walker, PJ Savoy, and Phil Cover to play at a more optimal level consistently. Phil hasn't looked real right. Uh, he's dealt with a lot of injuries this year. He's had flashes of good games. Duke, for example, uh, Wake Forest at home is another one where he played pretty well. But in general, in ACC play, there's been times where he just hasn't played very good ball. MJ Walker, tons of potential. Also, sometimes sort of, you know, infuriating to watch just Spurs. because, you know, bad ball handling or fall stumbles. But there's also moments where it's a silky smooth shot. Dribble drive creation is there. Ability to finish at the rim is there. Ability to defend is there. He's become a much, much better defender in the last year. And then P.J. Savoy is a three-point specialist. Yeah. When they're knocking him down, when he's knocking him down, they're scary good from the perimeter. But he's also had a few stretches this year where he's just kind of disappeared from the perimeter. If some form of two of those three can kind of get it going consistently, mm-hmm. accompanied with what we've seen, Kumaji taking a big leap, Fee being what Fee is, Trent Forrest being Mr. Consistent and hopefully scoring the ball at a good clip, Terrence Mann being really good, David Nichols being a consistent, steady force, yeah. Devin Vassell being, being a young guy they can rely on. That gives you a ton of weapons. And then you got Turk, who you can throw in there. It's a curveball, big man with ball handling. I think more so, uh, yes, defense is definitely going to be a key factor, as always is. But you talk about consistency, um, you know, shooting the ball. If you're not going to – we're not going to be able to do uh, – FSU is not going to be able to do a low, whole lot if they're shooting two for 22 from the three-point line. Yeah. yeah. And Ham talks about that routinely. When they go eight for twenty from the perimeter versus yeah. two for twenty-two from the perimeter, they didn't change a damn thing from one game to the other. They just shot well one night and they didn't and shoot they well the other night. So it's not some great leap forward of things. But one thing they can do, and he does talk regularly about this, when they pass the ball at a high clip mm-hmm. and they're a very efficient offensive passing team, when they're not in transition, when they're on a true half court set. They're a much better shooting team when they pass it at a high clip. When there's five to eight passes on offensive possession at times, they get themselves a very high-quality look. When they're patient, they're a very good offensive mm-hmm. team. FSU, like, for example, the end of the first half at Syracuse um, and other spurts and other games, but especially the end of the first half at Syracuse, when they get impatient, they get sped up, they kind of rush, they get themselves in trouble yeah. because mm-hmm. it, it creates bad opportunities on offense and they're playing get-back on defense. Mm-hmm. When they're able to score and then set as a defense and create whatever pressure they want, whether it's full court zone, you know, one two one type of, or I'm sorry, one two two type deal, whatever they want to do, when they're able to set and kind of face the opposition, they're stinking good on defense. The key to FSU continuing to do so well and why they've been doing so well is because they've been able to get the ball inside the paint to the big man. Yeah. Once you do that, you're creating multiple opportunities for the guards outside to, you know, be open and knock down threes as uh, everyone crashes in to, you know, to guard, you know, Kumaji or Fiondu. Yeah, Kumaji emerging as a reliable rebounder in the last Mm -hmm. six or so games has been arguably the brightest spot of this whole team because Kumaji is another guy that can be sort of infuriating at times because he is 7'4", his chin hits the rim, 
you know, you feel like, oh man, it should be so easy for him around the basket. And it is not. And for FSU, he was such a lob game guy mm-hmm. and effective at that. But some teams can take that away. But when he's rebounding it and putting it back or rebounding and creating additional offensive possessions, his value is so drastically higher because he does change a lot of shots on defense. He does cause issues in the lane. And he is a guy that there is there for the law. But you need the offensive portfolio for him to be diversified, which he's done a much better job here of recently. And I think truthfully for him, it was just the staff sort of told him, boss, man, you got to board. Like, you got to rebound. I, I go beyond who left this program. We don't have another guy that can go in there other than Fee who can do it around the glass. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to play Fee for 40 minutes. So you've got to give us good minutes when we give you minutes. And he's a 10 to 20-minute guy for them, usually more like 15 to 20. And when he's in there, he's given them good minutes lately. And it, it's been huge. They've been a much better team. And they've also done a much better job of getting post feeds to him and getting yeah. the fee. Mm-hmm. Last night in the second half, they kind of went away from feeding fee. And that's when Clemson made the run and got it down to seven, the lowest margin. And then they got it back in the fee, and fee made things happen. They're a really good team when they can play from the inside out. I believe that because they're so locked in that they're able to do what they're doing right now. Before you know, when they were started one and four in the ACC, you could have told, you could have noticed that there, you know, multiple things going wrong, and you know, just not as a collective, uh, their best game was just not there. But would you say that this eight game winning streak is definitely something that uh, will prepare the, this school and this program forward in the ACC tournament? Yeah, I I think they're I think they understand that they can win on a quick turnaround. I think mm-hmm. they understand they can play with anybody in the league. I mean, they had Duke on the ropes in a game that they truthfully probably should have won with the way they played. Um, I don't think they have a fair factor to them with anybody. Virginia's a bit of a nasty mismatch for them. Mm -hmm. You can't make mistakes against Virginia when FSU kind of has a propensity to do that. Virginia will bury you. They'll make a six-point lead feel like a 60-point lead. So they're kind of a unique one of the bunch. But I'm interested to see how they play Saturday before I make the huge leap Mm -hmm. of, yeah, they can do it. But... I remember that 2012 team that won the ACC tournament, and this team's better than that team. Yeah. Now, Duke's a better team than any team that was in the league that mm-hmm. year, in my opinion. But but, but, but FSU's good. F- FSU, the, you see fans on message boards and stuff say, oh, I don't want to, you know, they're streaking, but are they really just good? No, they're really just good. Like, buy in on it. Yeah. Be, and the fan base has been excellent. The support's been great at home, and mm-hmm. the fans are very interested. But don't don't like hesitate to believe that FSU has a really good basketball team because they do. And another thing that you mentioned um, about Duke, yes, they're they're literally you know one of the top two teams right now in the country, but they're beatable. Yeah, and that has been proven uh, throughout this year. Yeah, well, no, nobody nobody's exactly capable of not being beat in college exactly. basketball. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, look at Tennessee, arguably the best team in the SEC. Mm-hmm. Look at Duke and Virginia, the top two in the ACC. Look at the Zags, very good. But, you know, FSU played a very comparable Gonzaga team last year and defeated them. Yep. Uh, Michigan State, real solid Big Ten team, but them and Purdue are kind of in the same conversation along mm-hmm. with Michigan. FSU beat Purdue. And Purdue's played much better ball in conference schedule than they did in out-of-conference schedule. But FSU's shown they can play and beat teams of that caliber. Yeah. Villanova's another one in there. FSU did lose to them, but they were right there yeah, with them right in the tournament. LSU, FSU beat in that same tournament as Villanova. LSU's a great team. I love watching LSU yeah. play. LSU's horribly overshadowed in the SEC by Tennessee mm-hmm. and Kentucky. They are right there with those teams, and their competitiveness is unbelievable. And their play, their bigs, it's awesome. They have some of the 
if you enjoy watching college basketball, watch LSU and watch their biggest play ball. It is fun. But no, FSU's right there. I mean, I've, you know, I'm looking at Jerry Palm's current rankings for his seedings, and FSU's his highest five. And I believe this is actually right after the win last evening that he updated it. So FSU is his highest five. Here's the teams that are immediately in front of FSU in the next quadrant. Purdue, FSU beat Iowa. I think FSU's a better team than Nevada. Their, their record's great, but they've played literally nobody. No they way. have no Quadrant 1 <laughs> wins. They are 0-0 against Quadrant 1. They feasted on Quadrant 2. They're 9-2 there, but they also have 9 wins. Or I'm sorry, they're 9-0 and in Quadrant 2. They also have 9 wins in Quadrant 4. So their schedule has been incredibly soft. Right in front of them, Texas Tech. Truthfully, haven't watched them enough to judge them. And then right in front of that is LSU, who I know FSU can play with and beat. So, you know, then we're getting into top four High three seeds. FSU's good. They are right FSU there with those really kind of teams. Good. They're really North, good. North Carolina is a two seed. They're the lowest two seed currently in this field. So that will be an interesting to watch. And then two of the top four one seeds are Duke and Virginia, who FSU lost to. So I don't think FSU is quite of that caliber. Mm-hmm. But can they be a two or three? Yeah. And if FSU, if FSU wins out, I don't know what the hell Joe Lunardi was talking about last night on the broadcast. FSU can be a top three or four seed if they win out. Yes, they FSU can. is capable of it. They may not beat UNC. They may not get a two or three because they can't beat UNC. But if they went out the home portion of the schedule, beat Wake, I, I find it tough to argue that it can't be a three or a four. Yeah, you're right. So I don't really get what Lunardi – I think Lunardi last night said it would be very tough for FSU, FSU to get over the cusp of being a four. I, I don't see that. I don't understand that logic. Ken Palm, Jerry Palm, all these guys that put the numbers together who understand it much better than I do. They agreed the net ranking isn't in love with FSU. FSU is, I believe, 21 currently in that. And some of that is because it's a very odd ranking. But, like, it's the lowest ranking for FSU. If you look at the old Ken Palm, the old RPI, the other numbers that have commonly mm-hmm. been used to seed the tournament field, the net is the lowest one for FSU. So if the lowest for FSU is 21, that means they're a five six line seed. To me, they're a better team than that. So I don't think it's far fetched for them to be a higher seed. And another thing is, I believe that this Florida State team right now is literally the best team that they've had under him. Under him, I'd agree with that. I mean, I, I think eleven twelve was a very special bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, they got hot as they can get late in the year. Last year's team did that with the NCAA tournament mm-hmm. run. But, yeah, I think this group understands how good they can be. Exactly. And Fee's a special dude. Fee last night, and we talked about this in the car on the way over to Brendan's. Fee last night, outside of dribble driving and scoring on somebody, showed every bit of his skill set. He hit the threes. He hit the turnaround jays. He hit the face-up jays, boards and buckets, moves on the interior, hit free throws, rebounded effectively, blocked a couple shots. I mean, it, it, that dude's a blast. I so hope he doesn't read his press clippings and decide to go pro, <laughs> pro early. And the thing is, that's not just a one-game thing. No, that's every night. He does it every single night. He's the one guy that you know is going to come into this game off of the bench and produce the numbers that he's produced. And to go salty, Chris... There used to be a narrative that FSU couldn't develop players. I woke well, up when you said salty, Chris. <laughs> there used to be a narrative that FSU couldn't develop players. Mm-hmm. Well, that's been blown out of water. But if you still believe that and you're watching Fee play basketball and you don't believe that FSU can develop players, yeah, yeah, it might be time to hit the reset button yeah, and start over there. Because yeah, 
that dude's developed a heck of a lot. Now, he's done a lot of him himself. P90X got him in shape. He changed his diet. He worked out differently. He swam. He put a ton of hours in the gym with Stan Jones, especially during that redshirt season. He would go in there about 45 minutes to an hour before a game and get a lot of shots up, do a lot of work. Did you ever try P90X? Either of you? Do I look like I've ever tried? Really like somebody tried and quit after two or three days. <laughs> Tony Horton's such a Shem Mayo. Shem's in much better shape than he we, we probably I should have thrown this out when I introduced Shem. Like he actually really knows what he's talking about with basketball. Like not only yeah. is he someone who interns and does good work for us, but he plays basketball. He works with the women's team and helps out with training with them and stuff. Like he knows the game very intimately. He's technically our ringer for the uh, 247 Sports Basketball League that doesn't exist. <laughs> God, that would be a terrible league. <laughs> you know, uh, when I had conversations with Terrence Mann um, on last season, coming into this season, during the offseason, um, he he always mentioned that he wants to work on his, you know, shooting and his three-point. Yeah. And, you know, early on in the season, we've been like, oh, what's going on? Like, what's happening? Uh, you said you were working on this. Uh, we ha- we're not seeing the numbers. Teams are leaving them wide exactly. open and challenging them. And now you can see from game to game, he's taking at least, you know, one or two uh, shots, and he's being very consistent with it. Yeah, and I don't have the numbers added from last yeah. night where he knocked down, what, one from deep mm-hmm. last night, I think. I think he only took the one. I'm not 100% sure. But entering last night, it was 22 for 46, hitting 47.8% of his three-point attempts. Which for Terrence Mann, who used to literally be exactly. incapable of shooting at three, is a drastic improvement. Now, Trent Forrest, he has not yet made that leap. <laughs> Trent is four for 24 from deep, which is 16.7%. Yeah. If Trent could nail three-pointers, Trent Forrest Trent, would not be at FSU. He, <laughs> Trent, Trent's an elite dude. He can no, do a he, lot he of things play. at a high level. He, can he just well. can't shoot threes. If that, well, if that was a part of his game, definitely... Definitely how you consider it in this draft. And to Trent's defense, he's playing on a bad wheel because he's yeah. got what they call turf toe. It's not truly turf toe, mm-hmm. but I've I've lost that fight. He's got a bad toe that when it bends, it hurts like a mother and it doesn't go away. So, But he's playing through it. He's going to probably have to get cut on after the season and get you cleaned know. up. But that dude's gritted it out. He's played with it for at least 15, 20 games now at it, this point. It sort of reminds me of uh, last year during the tournament when uh, Terrence Mann got hurt. Yeah, when his it, hip was separating yeah, from his leg or whatever. Or yeah, groin was separating from his hip. It's just something that we just, you know, FSU just can't afford, you yeah. know. Like, injuries is definitely... Uh, but it, it is... There's something to be said about FSU basketball players and their willingness to play through it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Phil, Phil's taped together at this point of his career. He's had mm-hmm. so many you know, foot injury types. Yeah. You know, he's had injuries to both feet this year, one that kept him out for the early portion and had an issue with the other foot later in the season. But they just played through it. They're not guys that complain. They don't sulk. And when they're unable to play, they are still incredibly committed to being a part of the team. Phil, early in the year, coached guys on the bench constantly. He watches the game. He takes it in. It's not just I'm here to hang out. And even a guy like Malik Osborne, who's never played a minute in FSU's mm-hmm. uniform yet, or Ty Hands, who's a walk-on, who's coming off a knee injury, those are the two guys that can't play this year. So FSU has 16 of the 18 that can play. Those are the two of the 18 that can't contribute right now because of red shirts. Those guys are still involved. They're committed. They're, you, you can watch – you watch FSU's bench during a game – they are fully engaged every as a whole. game, all game. From Jacob, director of basketball operations, to every assistant, especially the dude who had to scout mm-hmm. for the game, he's bleeding with every second of the game because he knows how hard he scouted it. To every player, to the strength and conditioning coach, trainers, the GAs, every GA behind everyone. the bench, Managers. the towel boys. Heck, we sit at the end of the court, 
and I don't know his name. He's done it for years. He does a good job. The young man who does the court cleaning yeah. during the game, mm-hmm. he knows the scout of the game. And usually there is a team scout member sitting with him who's mm-hmm. kind of barking from under the boards. He is incredibly into it, and it's every game at home. I know he's a ton To me, yeah. it's very cool that FSU basketball has created such a in-depth culture and environment where if you work in that building, you are part of that team. You're part of the team, yeah. doesn't matter if you're putting points up in the bucket mm-hmm. that night. You're part of it, and they all live by that credo. And the, another thing is that we have uh, – FSU has people um, who believe in them as well. You know, because you, you definitely had to prove a point last year by making the run of how good this program can be. And when you show that, now you're going to have people who actually consider FSU becoming a basketball program. Yeah. Him in 17 years here has done a heck of a lot. There yeah. was a wall mm-hmm. in the middle mm-hmm. where they came up short. They weren't bad, but they also weren't great nor very good. Yeah, yeah. They were mediocre they're, they're to good. Yeah, average. And it mm-hmm. left something to be desired, but they have come over that hump with flying colors, and it's now a very well-established program. And, well, they're going to lose Terrence Mann and Phil Cover and Chris Kamaji after this year. I'm probably forgetting at least one other. I don't think they're going anywhere. Like, I, you know, I, I believe Fee will be back because I believe he wants to get his degree, knowing a little bit about his personal life. Mm-hmm. Um, they're bringing in a very, very good class, even though Anthony Edwards decided to make a stupid decision and go to Georgia. <laughs> they're going to be good, and they're going to be good for a while, and it's going to be fun. And him has created a culture that even if he were to retire in the coming years because he is you know, in his 70s and while he is aging backwards and looks younger than I do at this point in his life <laughs> – He's created a culture that's going to carry on and allow this program to persevere, yeah. and uh, yeah. they're in a good spot. And it's fun. I I like FSU basketball. I enjoy it. I like the people in that building a ton. I'm very happy to watch them have success. Um, I think another thing is that we have a lot of recruits coming in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. That's, that's kind of scary because— Pat, Patrick Williams is awesome. He is legit. He what, can, that six seven. Yeah, and he he's another guy that's long length. Lengthy, he can do a he, lot of different things. Scoring a lot of different ways. A lot. He likes playing defense, which is always a premium for, for a premier yeah. recruit mm-hmm. coming in. Um, you know, you got big boy from Montverde coming in. You got Naheem McLeod, who is kind of Ham's next next seven foot test subject. But Naheem can do a lot of different things. It's a nice group, and it wouldn't shock me if they add one more yeah. that they missed on Anthony mm-hmm. Edwards. It's a great group. They. People in that building are very, very – I mean, they love this team, and they think they're very good. They're very excited for next year. They believe they are very capable of being very, very good again next year. And that was very true when they thought Anthony Edwards would wear garden gold. And even with that not happening and the disappointment of that because a this lot of time had been invested. still going to be fine. Yeah. They, <laughs> and they weren't willing to sell their soul and their mm-hmm. team concept to appease people within the circle of Anthony Edwards. And to me, that says everything you need to know about FSU basketball and its current status. They didn't need to go all in for the number one kid in the country just to appease people within his circle, not Mm -hmm. necessarily him, but people that were in the decision-making process with him. They did not have to do that. They didn't have to sacrifice who they are and what they are as a program in Mm -hmm. order to achieve what they believe they can achieve in the future. They're not going to be bad next year because they missed on Anthony Edwards. In fact, they are probably going to be perfectly fine because they decided to essentially say thanks but no thanks to what was being asked by Anthony Edwards and And, company. And that would would definitely be exemplified during this ACC tournament as well as the NCAA tournament. The results of this season are definitely going to show what this team is actually capable of coming into next year. 
I think that's a good point to stop at. So thanks for listening to a little hoops. Sanon somehow grinded through it and lived to tell another day. And we will be back. I've been texting a lot. We'll be back next week to talk football. Maybe they'll hire an offensive line coach by then. Don't 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 go injecting some bad mood into this. This is a happy podcast. You know what's funny? Chris is wearing an FSU basketball shirt right now, but drinking out of a UCF national championship mug. With the Nose Twenty Four podcast, this is Rick. Damn it! I said twenty four. Go ahead, finish it up. Wait, I just want to throw one more thing in. (laughs) Just be alert. FSU women's basketball. I'm just saying. Yeah, give keep them a an shot. Eye, Go ahead. Ahead. Keep an eye on those girls, man. Those ladies are amazing. Uh, Nikki Kamu, Naja Wolfo, Kai Glipsy. Even, you know, we have a ton of freshmen. Morgan Jones. Not she, a single senior. Not a single senior. Indeed, they're 21 and 5 right now. Yep. They're doing exceptionally well. It was a rebuild year for Sue, and she's overachieved mm-hmm. by a mile, especially considering they lost their best recruit, who was also their point guard. Tons of injuries. They have tons of injuries. They only have about seven to eight players right now that's actually playing and you know, sharing minutes. Be on the lookout for them. Also, next year. They're going to have a full team, and this is going to be the first time in a while. Four McDonald's All-Americans on the roster next year, I believe. It's going to be scary. Good times. Have Shem. Can you stick the landing? You can't stick the landing. I know I can. I want someone else who can. We should just For the Knowles247.com podcast, this is Chris (laughs) Nee with Brendan Sinone and Shem Rivera.